Amen. All right, well, we're there in Galatians chapter number 4. And, of course, on Wednesday nights, we are studying the book of Galatians. We're going verse by verse through the book of Galatians. And we find ourselves tonight uh, finishing up Galatians chapter number 4. We've actually already dealt with uh, the first 20 verses of this chapter. And tonight, we're going to look at verses 21 uh, through 31. And just by way of introduction, I want to show you here in the uh, first several uh, verses, Galatians 4.21, the Bible says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? And I just want to just take a moment, and like I said, just by way of introduction to remind you that what prompted the uh, epistle known as the book of Galatians, this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia, uh, there are several themes that we see uh, through this book, and again, we'll see it again tonight, a very specific theme we've been looking at in chapter 4. And what prompted this writing is that the Apostle Paul went to this region of Galatia, he planted churches, he got people saved, he discipled them. And of course, he, when he left, and when he left, uh, certain men came from Judea, these Judaizers came from Judea, and they began to teach the people that salvation by grace through faith was not enough that they also had to be brought under the bondage of the Mosaic law, that if they, not, if they did not keep the Old Testament law, then they were not actually saved. And they began to teach this heresy. They began to criticize the Apostle Paul and to turn the churches in Galatia against Paul. So the book of Galatians is a response from the Apostle Paul as he's writing to these churches and he's attempting to correct them, not only their false doctrine, but also on the fact that they have uh, turned on him. It's been a very uh, hostile book, we could call it, uh, because he's been very direct with them and rebuking them and, and correcting them. But it's been also a very theological book because of the fact that he is fighting the doctrine of salvation and also this idea of the old covenant versus the new covenant. Do New Testament believers have to keep the old covenant, the Mosaic law? Do we have to keep uh, these, these old uh, uh, ordinances in order to be uh, Christians is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. And here we find ourselves again with Paul in a very theological uh, portion of Scripture. He says there in verse 21, Tell me, uh, ye that desire to be under the law, do ye not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Now we're going to come back and... and, and and go through these verses and dissect them. But I want you to notice verse 24. He says, which things are an allegory? And what I want you to understand is what we're going to see tonight in these verses, Galatians 4, 21 through 31, is uh, a passage of Scripture in which the Apostle Paul takes an Old Testament story. And this is a real Old Testament story about uh, Isaac and Ishmael. This actually happened. And we're going to turn to Genesis and look at it. Uh, in a little bit. He takes this story, which actually happened, real people, real story, but he uses it as an allegory to teach the Galatians about the Old Testament covenant versus the New Testament covenant. So it's a story about Ishmael versus Isaac, but Paul is using it as an allegory. The word allegory means a representative or figurative story, a symbolic narrative. He's taking a narrative, a story that actually happened, and he's using it to symbolize this idea between the old uh, covenant and the new covenant. And let me just say this, and this is kind of my last statement by way of introduction, and then we'll jump right into it. This is, again, the Apostle Paul dealing with theology. We've got about half of another chapter where he's very theological, and then he's going to get, just like Paul normally is, towards the end of his epistles, he gets very practical, very pragmatic, and he starts giving us a lot of practical things. But again, this we're dealing with something that's uh, theological, and we understand the entire Bible is theological, but he's dealing with Bible doctrines and deep Bible doctrines when it comes to the Old Covenant versus the New Covenant. So I want you to just kind of be ready for that. And it's not, maybe not necessarily going to be the type of sermon where uh, there's a lot of screaming and yelling and enthusiasm, but these are important doctrines uh, for us to be aware of. So it might feel a lot like a Bible college class, and that's okay. We're studying the Bible. I think that's why you showed up to a Wednesday night Bible study. So, of course, I want to encourage you to take notes. We're going to walk through this passage, and on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer four questions for you tonight as we walk through this passage to help you understand this passage. It's not complicated, but sometimes people try to make it complicated, uh, and sometimes simple passages become complicated because we have to uncomplicate a lot of 
uh, bad uh, preconceived ideas that people have. So we're going to answer four questions uh, regarding this passage as we walk through it. If you'd like to jot them down, I encourage you to do that. Here's the first question. Who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory? Let's begin there, because the Apostle Paul gives us this allegory, and he gives this allegory, the story, it really happened, but he's using it symbolically, and we want to begin by just identifying who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory. Notice there again, Galatians 4 and verse 29, excuse me, verse 22. He says, for it is written. Now he says, for it is written, because this is found in the book of Genesis, and like I said, we're going to go, uh, go, go back there at some point and actually look at the story. He says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons. And of course, the two sons that, uh, that Paul is referring to here are Ishmael and Isaac. And if you remember, Isaac was the son that God promised Abraham that he would give him in his old age through his wife, Sarah. But Ishmael was the result of a lapse in faith. Ishmael was the result of Abraham and Sarah uh, not being patient with God's promise and getting ahead of themselves. And uh, Abraham ended up having another son, a a son named Ishmael, uh, with Hagar, a a bondmaid. It was a servant who who became a concubine, and he had a son. And this is what uh, Paul is referring to. He says, "...for it is written that Abraham had two sons." Notice what he says. He says, the one by a bondmaid. A bondmaid would be a servant. And of course, this is a reference to Hagar. He says, uh, Abraham had one son, and one was by a bondmaid, Hagar. And, and, and again, this is symbolic, but he's using the story for a reason. We have a bondmaid, a woman under bondage. She is a servant. He says, he had one son who was born under bondage. He says, the other by a free woman. And of course, the free woman would be Sarah. Sarah was not a servant. Sarah was a free woman. And he says, these two sons had two different mothers, one a bondmaid and one a free woman. Notice verse 23. He says, but he who was of the bondwoman. Now, we know that that's Ishmael, who was born of Hagar. He says, he who was of the bondwoman, notice what he says, was born after the flesh. He says, The one that was born of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. I want you to notice that when we begin here and we want to just kind of clarify what is going on in this passage, we begin by asking this question, who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory? And we have two groups. We have Hagar and Ishmael, and we have Sarah and Isaac. We have two sons born by two different women. One was born by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. He who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, and he of the free woman was born by promise. Now let me help you understand those statements there in verse 23, because you might think, well, aren't all babies born of the flesh? And, and that is true to an extent. You know, Jesus even said in the New Testament that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And we understand that anyone that gets born again spiritually first was born physically by the flesh. What is being meant here by Paul when he said that one was born after the flesh and that one was born by promise is that one was born, when he says after the flesh, the idea is that one was not born of the will of God, that one was born of the will of man, that when Ishmael was born, this was not something that God had ordained. This was not something that God had said, I want Ishmael to be born. I want you to go in unto Hagar and have a son. The one who was born, verse 23, he who was born of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, meaning after the will of the flesh, that it was human beings who took it upon themselves to create this relationship that produced this child, Ishmael. But he of the free woman was born by promise. Why does it say promise? Because that was by the will of God. That was a promise that God made to Abraham and to Sarah that they would have a son by the name of Isaac. And here's what I want you to understand. When you see the word promise, and we've already seen this in Galatians, but I want you to be reminded of it. When you see the word promise, you need to think of faith because it is Abraham's faith in the promises of God that made him the father of faith. So we have two different groups that we're speaking of, Hagar and Ishmael, one who was born after the flesh under bondage, one who was born by promise or faith, and, and, and he was born of the free woman. We have Hagar and Ishmael, 
Sarah and Isaac. Who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory? Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. Now we understand that these two groups are used as an illustration because Paul already told us this was an allegory. It was symbolic of something that he wants to teach. So the next question we need to ask is this. What do the two groups represent? We, we asked the question, who are the two groups spoken of? And we have the answer, Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. But what do these two groups represent? Now, here's where oftentimes people go a little crazy with allegories. Because as biblicists, our job is to always take the Bible literally. Now, not everything in the Bible is literal, but we should always take the Bible literally, except for when the Bible tells us that something is literal, uh, is not literal. Obviously, Jesus gave parables that were not literal. Here, Paul is saying, I'm going to take an actual story, but I'm going to use it symbolically. He tells us it's an allegory. And here's what you need to understand. Our job as Bible-believing Christians is to study the Scripture within context and to compare spiritual things with spiritual so where some people might go off the cliff at this point and say, well, here's the two allegories, and let me tell you what I think, we need to actually allow the Bible to be its own commentary and allow the Bible to tell us what this allegory means. And Paul does a good job at telling us that. He says there are two groups that I'm going to use symbolically, Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. So the next natural question would be, well, what do these two groups represent? And the answer is twofold. One is that they represent two covenants. Notice again, or notice it there in verse 24. He says, which things are an allegory? He said, this is an example of something but symbolic. He says, for these are the two covenants, all right? So you say, how do we know that these two groups represent two covenants? Did you get that from a, uh, a commentary? Did you get that from some sort of theological book? No, we got it from the Word of God. The Word of God itself is telling us, look, which things are an allegory, for these are two covenants. Notice the one from the Mount Sinai, which genders to bondage. And then notice it, notice what he says, which is Agar. Now, Agar there is the New Testament spelling of the Old Testament name, Hagar. And I want you to notice that Paul says, look, these two groups represent two different covenants. So then the next question would be, well, which one represents which covenant? We've got an Old Testament covenant and a New Testament covenant. Which one represents which covenant? And Paul says in verse 24, he says, which things also are an allegory, for these are the two covenants. He says, the one, he said, one of the covenants is from Mount Sinai, which gendereth, that word means produces or, or brings forth, he says, to bondage. And then he says, which is Agar, or Hagar. Now that would make sense, because Hagar was the bondmaid, was the bondwoman. And here Paul is identifying for us which group represents which covenant. Because he says, Hagar and Ishmael represent the covenant from Mount Sinai. Notice verse 25. For this is Agar, for this Agar, notice, is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So we've got two covenants. How, which one is which? Well, we know that Hagar and Ishmael are a representation of the covenant made in Mount Sinai. Now, keep your place there in Galatians chapter 4. That's our text for tonight. We'll go with me, if you could, would, quickly to the book of Exodus in the Old Testament. Genesis, and then you've got the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 19. The importance of Mount Sinai being mentioned here is... Because Mount Sinai is really known for one major thing. And it is known for the fact that this is where God made a covenant with the children of Israel, which is often referred to as the Old Testament covenant, or sometimes referred to as the Mosaic covenant. It's where God made a covenant with the children of Israel, and he gave them his laws at Mount Sinai. He gave them, of course, the Ten Commandments, but it's more than just the Ten Commandments. That is the covenant of Mount Sinai, is the Mosaic covenant. Covenant. So here, when Paul says, look, Hagar or Hagar is Mount Sinai. These are two covenants, one from Mount Sinai. He's making it very clear. Hagar and Ishmael represent the Old Testament covenant of the Mosaic law. Notice Exodus chapter 19. Are you there? Genesis and then the book of Exodus, Exodus 19, verse 10. Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord said unto Moses, go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. 
and be ready. And by the way, this is, of course, the children of Israel. They just came out of Egypt, and they are now encamped around Mount Sinai here in Exodus 19. Look at verse 11. And be ready against the third day, for the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people, notice it, upon Mount Sinai. Skip down to verse 18, just for sake of time. Look at verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon, notice it there in verse 20, Mount Sinai. And we won't take the time to go through the rest of the passage, but of course, we see that this is when Moses goes up to the mount, and God establishes a covenant with Moses and the children of Israel. And then, of course, in verse 20, in chapter 20, we have the famous passage giving us the Ten Commandments. So go, go back to Galatians, if you would, Galatians chapter 4. So we're asking the question, what do the two groups represent? The first question was, who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory? The answer is Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. Then we're asking the question, who do these two groups represent? And Paul tells us, that Ishmael and Hagar represent, these, these two groups represent two covenants, and Ishmael and Hagar represent the covenant made in Mount Sinai. That is the Old Testament Mosaic covenant. Now, what does that leave for Sarah and Isaac? That leaves the New Testament covenant. And we're going to get to that here in a minute. But I want you to notice, not only are there two covenants represented by these two groups, there are also two Jerusalems represented by these groups. Now, Jerusalem, of course, is a city, and you might be thinking, I thought there was only one Jerusalem, but the Bible tells us there's actually two, and there are two Jerusalems that are represented by these two groups. Are you there? In Galatians chapter 4, look at verse 25 again. For this, is a, for this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, notice, Mount Sinai is a, is a picture of the Old Testament covenant made with Moses, the Mosaic Covenant. This Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answer it to Jerusalem. Now, I want you to notice that the Old Testament Covenant, answer it to, that idea is that it is connected to, it is the answer to a question to, the city of Jerusalem. For this Agar is in Mount Sinai in Arabia and answer to Jerusalem. Now, I've already told you that there are two Jerusalems. I'm about to show you that in a minute. So how do we know which Jerusalem is being spoken of? Well, notice what he says. He says, an answer to Jerusalem, which now is. So he says, look, Agar and her Mount Sinai covenant answer it to or is connected to Jerusalem, which now is. Now notice what he says, the last part of verse 25, and is in bondage with her children. So I want you to notice that Paul is connecting these things together. He says there's two covenants. One is represented by a bondwoman. Why would you represent, uh, use a bondwoman? He says, because she represents the covenant of Mount Sinai, which answers to Jerusalem. Which Jerusalem? The, the Jerusalem, which now is. And then Paul says that that Jerusalem is in bondage with her children. Notice verse 26. But, and by the way, I haven't really done, I haven't even started to preach or give you any commentary. All we've literally been doing is just reading the Bible. Notice verse 26. But Jerusalem, here's Jerusalem number two, which is above, is free. Now she's represented, this Jerusalem is represented by the free woman. Because this Jerusalem is not in bondage. This Jerusalem is free, but Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So I want you to notice, two covenants, two groups, Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac, two covenants, the covenant in Mount Sinai, two Jerusalems, Jerusalem, which now is, which is in bondage, and Jerusalem, which is above, which is free. Go to Revelation, if you would, Revelation chapter 11, Revelation chapter 11. I want you to notice these two Jerusalems. And let me tell you something. God does not think very highly of the Jerusalem which now is. 
Now, I, and, and look, I'm not against, you know, people going over to Jerusalem and, and as a tourist and seeing it and seeing, of course, where Jesus was crucified, all those things. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But as far as seeing it as some sort of a spiritual oasis or spiritual uh, place, that is not, that did not come from the Bible. Because in Revelation chapter 11, now notice what it says. Revelation 11 verse 8. Now, Revelation, of course, is end times prophecy. This is thing, these are things that have not yet happened, but I want you to notice what the Bible says about Jerusalem. And their bodies, Revelation 11, 8, and their bodies, just for context, what's being referred to here is the two witnesses of the end times who have now been killed by the Antichrist. And their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. What city? Well, it doesn't give us a name, but he does give us enough of a description to let us know what city he's referring to. He says, and their, bo- their bodies shall lie in the street of the great city. Now, no- before he tells us what city it is, he wants to tell us what he thinks of it spiritually. What does he think about this great city? He says, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. Now, let me ask you something. Are those two cities, you know, good cities in the Bible? No. Sodom? No. Egypt? He says, look, their bodies were killed. They're going to lie in the streets of a great city, which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. You say, what city are you talking about, God? Notice what he says, where also our Lord was crucified. Now, what city was the Lord Jesus Christ crucified in? Jerusalem. Revelation 11 tells us exactly what it is that God thinks of the city of Jerusalem Again, as far as being a spiritual place or a spiritual location. And he says, spiritually, it's Sodom. Spiritually, it's Egypt. He's, and again, please don't misunderstand me. If you want to go there and, and, and tour it and all that, I don't have a problem with that. But you should just understand, you know, the value of it is that you go and just see where Jesus lived and walked and ministered and see where he was crucified and where he resurrected and all those things are great. But we should not, what Paul is teaching, is look at Jerusalem as some sort of a spiritual place. He says, because our Jerusalem is from above. He said, in fact, that Jerusalem, the Jerusalem which now is, the Jerusalem that is still supposedly under the Old Testament law, is in bondage. Now notice the second Jerusalem there in Revelation. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Look at verse 1. Now when you remember that Paul is fighting these Judaizers who are trying to bring this Old Testament Mosaic law into salvation, you understand why he's making these points. Revelation 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Verse 2, And I, John, saw the holy city, notice it, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So here we see the other, the Jerusalem which is, according to Galatians, from above. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free. What Jerusalem is that? It's the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. So we have two groups, Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. What do they represent? Two covenants. Hagar and Ishmael are the covenant that was made in Sinai and two Jerusalems. Jerusalem, which now is, which is in bondage, and Jerusalem, which is from above and which is free. Go back to Galatians chapter number 4. Now, it should already kind of be clear which group is which, but let's just go ahead and answer the question. Which group is which? I mean, we got two groups here. Ishmael and, and Hagar, Isaac and Sarah. So what group represents what group? Who does Isaac represent? I want you to notice that Paul answers the question here in Galatians 4 and verse 27. He says, For it is written, Rejoice, thou bearing that bearest not, break forth and cry, uh, thou that travailest not, for the desolate have many more children than she that hath an husband. And if you understand what that verse is talking about, you know that's true. Verse 28. Now we, I want you to notice that Paul now begins to speak uh, in, a, in a way in which identifies him with the Galatians. He says, now we. Now I want you to notice what he says. He says, now we brethren. So the people that Paul is speaking to, he 
is acknowledging them or assuming that they are believers because he calls them brethren. He says, now we brethren. Now, I want you to understand, okay, just real quickly, that who Paul is speaking to when he says we, and he calls them brethren, is Gentile believers. You say, prove it. Okay, go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter number 1, and look at verse number 1. Remember that Galatia is a region. It's not a city, it's a region. And it's a region in what we would call today modern-day Turkey, which that region is actually considered Eastern Europe uh, and or Western Asia, depending on who you're asking and you know where, where you're at. Galatians 1 and verse 1 says this, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Notice verse 2. And all the brethren... So remember, in Galatians 4.28, he says, now we brethren. But in Galatians 1.2, he tells us who the brethren are. He says, now all the brethren... He says, and all the brethren which are with me. He says, notice what he says, unto the churches of Galatia. Look at verse... Uh, go, go back to Galatians 4.31. He, he says again this term. He's using this term. He says, look, I'm writing myself and the brethren that are with me. I'm writing unto the churches of Galatia. What are churches made up of? They're made up of believers. They're made up of brethren. He says in verse 28, now we brethren. Notice verse 31. So then brethren. Notice he's speaking to the Galatians who are Gentiles. He says, now we brethren. Galatians 4.28. Notice what he says. As Isaac was, are the children of promise. So when we ask the question, well, who represents who in this allegory? Who does Isaac represent? Well, according to Paul, Isaac in this allegory represents those of us who are born of faith. Because, of course, he's, Isaac is the son of promise. He was born of faith because uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham had faith that the promise of God would come to pass and that Isaac would be born. Look at it again, Galatians 4.28. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Look at verse 31 again. So then, brethren, we are not the children of the bondwoman, but of the free. So it's very clear which group is which. Who does Isaac represent? Isaac represents anyone who is born of faith, not of the flesh, but of faith, of promise. Who does Ishmael represent? Look at verse 29. But as then he, and we're going to get into this phrase here and, 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 and dissect it, but I just want you to notice this real quickly. But as then he that was born after the flesh. Notice that Isaac represents those who are born of the faith, Ishmael represents those who are born of the flesh. What is the point that Paul's trying to make? In this allegory, he says, look, New Testament believers who are saved by faith through grace are represented by Isaac, are represented by Sarah, the free woman who represents Jerusalem from above, which is free. Amen. He said, and then those who are born of the flesh, those are represented by Ishmael. And he says, those are uh, uh, connected to the Mosaic covenant given in Mount Sinai, and he says they are in bondage. Now, Ishmael, Galatians 4.29, but as then he that was born after the flesh. Ishmael is a representation of those that are born after the flesh. So who are these who are born after the flesh? Go to John chapter 8. If you're there in Galatians, go to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John chapter 8. Look at verse 33. John 8.33, they answered him. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees or the religious Jewish leaders of his day. Notice what they said to him. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. What were they saying? They're saying we are the physical descendants after the flesh of Abraham. They said we be Abraham's seed. And then they say this, which I think is kind of funny. Because they say, and we're never in bondage. To any man. And I think to myself, did you forget about a little thing called, you know, being in bondage in Egypt? Yep. Come on did you forget about a little thing, you know, what about your captivity in Babylon? Hello. You know, did, did, or how about the fact that when they're actually, these words are coming out of their mouth, they're in bondage to Rome. Right. 
So they say, they answered him, we be Abraham's seed and were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, he shall be made free? Now notice verse 37, John 8, 37. Notice what Jesus responds. He says, I know that ye are Abraham's seed. He said, I know that you are the physical descendants after the flesh of Abraham. He said, but ye seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. So does being the physical descendant of Abraham mean that God's word is automatically in you? And Jesus would answer that question and say no. Go to Luke chapter number 3. You're there in John. Just flip back to Luke chapter 3 and look at verse number 8. Luke chapter 3 and verse number 8. This is the, uh, the preaching of John the Baptist. When the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders came to John, notice what John says to these people. Luke 3, 8. Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And then John, the Baptist, begins to say to these Jewish leaders, he says, and begin not to say within yourself. He said, don't start saying within yourself, we have Abraham for our father. He says, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. What John was telling them is saying, look, your pedigree, your descendancy, the fact that you are a physical descendant of Abraham doesn't mean anything. He said, in fact, God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. See, the Jews are those that were born after the flesh. Go back to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. And let me just say this, because some of these people, you know, you, you start preaching like this, and some of these people get a little nervous, but please understand something. When we're talking about the Jews, we're talking about the religion of Judaism. And today we live in this Christianity that says, you know, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And yet you have Christians who will say, well, Hindus have to reject Hinduism and believe on Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Or Muslims have to reject Islam and believe on Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Or atheists have to reject atheism and believe on Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. But then they want to give the Jews just this, this free pass. And let me tell you something. We believe that Jewish people can be saved and we want Jewish people to be saved, but God is no respecter of persons, and anyone that gets saved gets saved the same way by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. So simply being a descendant, a physical descendant of Abraham does nothing for you spiritually. Now notice Galatians 4 and verse 29. But as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit, even so it is now. Now, here's what Paul is saying. Those that were born after the flesh, the Jews, are the ones who have persecuted those that were born after the Spirit. Now, here's what's interesting. Paul says this. He says, but as then, because remember, he's using a story, Ishmael and Isaac. He says, but as then, he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit. He says, that's how it was in the story, the allegory I'm using, Paul says. And he says, even so it is now. He says, it's the same way now. Now, what is it that Paul is talking about? Well, let's go to Genesis real quickly and look at the story. Genesis chapter 21. Genesis 21 should be fairly easy to find. First book in the Bible, Genesis 21. Do me a favor, when you get to Genesis 21, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave it and we're going to come back to it. And I want you to be able to get to it quickly. Genesis 21 and verse 8. Genesis 21 and verse 8. Notice what the Bible says. And the child grew. Now, the child here is Isaac. We're going to see that in the context. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So the child that's growing here is Isaac. Verse 9. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Remember, she represents Jerusalem, which now is, which spiritually is Sodom and Egypt. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which uh, she had born unto Abraham, mocking so what, what is Genesis 21, 9 telling us? That Ishmael was mocking Isaac. Ishmael, it was, you know, it was a, a special day for Isaac. The child grew, and he was weaned, and Abraham made him a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. And then Ishmael is mocking uh, Isaac, and Paul is using that as an allegory or an analogy in saying, as it was then, the son of the flesh persecuting the Son of the Spirit. He said, so it is now. The physical sons of Abraham are persecuting the sons of promise, are persecuting the sons of faith. Now, let me just give you some thoughts regarding Ishmael real quickly. This is just, this is just my opinion. You can do whatever you want with this. Uh, you, you don't, th- 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 these are just my thoughts. You, you go back to Galatians chapter 4. Keep your place right there in Genesis. We're going to come right back. Go back to Galatians chapter 4. 
My thoughts on Ishmael are this. I don't necessarily think that Ishmael as a person was necessarily a bad person. This story, you know, and this story being used here, Paul says it's just an allegory. You know, it's just a kid mocking another kid, and you know how kids are. They fight, they're bullies, or whatever. I don't, I, I can't really find much in the Bible that says really anything negative about Ishmael. Uh, and I'm talking about Ishmael as a person, as an individual, because God promised Ishmael a nation in Genesis 21, 13. God rescued Ishmael from dying in the wilderness, Genesis 21, 17 through 19. And God was with Ishmael, the Bible says, in Genesis 2 and verse 20. I'm not saying that Ishmael was a great godly person, but I don't know that Ishmael, the person, the individual, is necessarily just an evil person. Maybe I'm wrong about that. The Bible doesn't really seem to indicate that. This is simply just a story. It actually happened. Ishmael was mocking Isaac, and Paul is using that to make an illustration, and he's using it as an allegory. Now, what is it that Paul is trying to teach? Here's what he's teaching, that it is the sons of the flesh that are, have persecuted the sons of the spirit. What is the point that he's making? Here's the point that he's making. And you see this all throughout the New Testament. And it is this, that it is the Jews who have persecuted Christians throughout the New Testament. Now, today we have groups of people called Zionists who want to promote Judaism as though it's some sort of spiritual religion that we should respect. And again, we're not talking about being disrespectful to individuals, but we are talking about the fact that there's one way to, to heaven, there's one way to the Father, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. There are dispensationalists who want to uh, promote Judaism and promote Zionism. And today, in most churches, what you are taught is this, that the Romans persecuted Christians. Now, let me just say this. Historically, yes, there was a time in human history when the Roman Empire persecuted Christianity. That is... Uh, without a doubt. But what Paul is saying is that in the Bible, I'm saying in the New Testament, you cannot find in the New Testament during the first hundred years of Christianity where the Romans are necessarily persecuting Christianity. In fact, if anything, if you read the book of Acts, you find the Romans protecting Christians. But you know what you find over and over and over and over again through the Gospels and through the book of Acts is the Jews persecuting Christians. Of course, it was the Jews that God the Lord Jesus Christ to be crucified. And then I'm not going to have you go through all these passages because I'm going to run out of time. But let me just read these for you. you can I'll give you the reference. You can jot them down if you like. They're all in the book of Acts. But I'll just read them just to make the point. Because this is the point that Paul is making. The point that Paul is making is this. That as then he that was born of the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. He said, even so it is now. And he's saying in his day, Paul is saying, it is the Jews that were persecuting the Christians. Acts 9 verse 23. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him, referring to Saul. Acts 13, 45. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Acts 13, 50. But the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coast. Acts 14, verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Acts 14, 19. Now look, I'm taking the time to read all these because I'm trying to make a point that this is just redundant throughout the Bible. Amen. Acts 14, 19. And there came hither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persecuted the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Acts 17, verse 5. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out of the people. Acts 18, 12. And when Gallio was the, uh, the deputy of Achaia, the Jews made insurrection with one accord against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat. Uh, Acts 20, verse 19. Paul is speaking of his ministry. He says, Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Acts 21, 27. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him. Acts 23, 12. 
And when it was they, certain of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under a curse, saying that they uh, would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Acts 23, 27, this man, referring to Paul, was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them, is what the chief captain wrote when he sent Paul away. And here's the point that I'm trying to make to you, is that Paul is saying, look, as it was then, so it is now. Paul is saying, right now, it is the Jews that are persecuting. The sons of the flesh are persecuting the sons of the Spirit. And when you read the book of Acts, you know who you find just falling Paul around, persecuting believers? It's the Jews. Now, here's why I make the point and why I think it's funny. Because today, the dispensationalists and the Zionists, they don't like... Because this is when you break down this passage, it's really clear what Paul's talking about. But they don't like that. So they open up commentaries and biblical doctrinal books and all sorts of things. And, you know, they try to turn this allegory of Isaac versus Ishmael. And they want to make it about the Jews versus Islam. And they're like, Ishmael is the descendants are Islam. And, and Isaac, are the descendants are, are the Jews. And they try to turn. But here's what's silly about that is that Islam started 600 years after Christ. So how could Paul say, as it was then, so it is now, when he's being persecuted by the Jews, he says the sons of the flesh, the Jews, are persecuting the sons of the spirit, the sons of the promise, the sons of faith, you said believer. And then dispensation want to say, no, 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 this is about the Jews and Islam. It's not even starts until 600 years later. It, there's no way, and, and, and just within the context, did we ever read the word Muhammad? Did we ever see anything having to do? It wasn't like, you know, Jerusalem and Mecca. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about Jerusalem, which now is, versus Jerusalem, which is from above. Now you say, well, okay, this is all interesting, but why is this important? Here's why it's important. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 30. And because Paul, look, Paul's not just bringing this up because he's bashing on the Jews. Keep in mind, Paul himself is a Jew, physically. The Lord Jesus Christ was a Jew. Most of the disciples were Jews. So he's not just bashing on the Jews here, but he's trying to make a point. And the point is this, that God is done with the Old Testament covenant. The Mosaic law has been changed, and there's a new covenant, a better covenant, Hebrew says, called the New Testament. And everybody, red, yellow, black, and white, they have to come to salvation through the new covenant, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you say, why does this matter and why is it important? Here, here's the question we need to answer. Here's why Paul has been kind of funneling this idea through this passage. He says this, what, and here's the question. Which of these representations? Remember, we have two groups that represent two different things. Hagar and Ishmael, Sarah and Isaac. Two covenants, two Jerusalems, two people. One represents those that are born of the faith, Isaac, a promise. Other one represents those that are born of the flesh, the physical descendants of Abraham. Why is this important? Here's why. Here's the question we need to ask. Which one of these groups gets cast out? Which one is God done with? Because notice Galatians chapter 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Here's why he's bringing it up. Because a bunch of Judaizers just showed up to the churches in Galatia and they're trying to say, hey, you got to go back to the Mosaic law. And Paul says, really? Because Ishmael is a representation of the Mosaic Mount Sinai covenant. And here's how the story goes. He says, what saved the scripture? By the way, that's a beautiful phrase. We should always ask that question. The question should always be, what does the Bible say? Nevertheless, what saved the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. Now let's look at that in Genesis. Remember the story? Because this is an actual story that actually happened. Now, the literal story is just symbolic of what the, the teaching that Paul's making, but it's interesting to see the story. Genesis 21, 8, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. Sarah saw Ishmael mocking Isaac. So what happened? Verse 10, wherefore she said unto Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. So when we ask the question, which of the groups gets cast out? The answer is the son of the bondwoman. The son of the, the son that was born after the flesh. Who does that represent? The physical flesh descendants 
of Abraham. Now go to Matthew real quickly. Let's just run some verses. We got to hurry up. But um, let's look at these verses real quickly. Matthew chapter 8. First book of the New Testament should be fairly easy to find. Matthew chapter 8, look at verse 11. Now, if you have a red letter edition Bible, you'll notice that the words I'm about to read to you are in red. This means that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke these words. Matthew 8, 11. And I say unto you, that many shall come from the east and the west. Now remember, Paul asked a question. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. He said, he said I'm, I'm bringing up these two groups because one of these groups got cast out. One of these groups got thrown out. He says, and it was Ishmael who was born after the flesh, who represents the physical descendants of, of, of Abraham. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 11. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west. What, is that, what does that sound? That sounds like a lot of foreigners. That sounds like multicultural. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. These are the patriarchs. Where are they going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? In the kingdom of heaven. Verse 12. But the children of the kingdom shall be, don't miss it, cast out. Shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Paul said, the scripture says, cast out the bondwoman and her son. Jesus said, let me tell you something. There's going to come people from all over the world, from the east and the west, and they're going to sit down in the kingdom of Abraham, in the kingdom, excuse me, of heaven, with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but the children of the kingdom, the children that were born to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are going to get cast out. You say, why? Because even if you're a physical descendant of Abraham, if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to go to hell. You'll be cast out. There, there's no, God is no respecter of persons. There is no exception because you were physically related to Abraham. Go to Matthew 21. Matthew 21, look at verse 43. Shall be cast out. And you preach like this and people say, oh, you're, you're just, you know, anti-Semitic. But look, we, we believe. You say, well, then what should we do? Let's go get some Jews saved. In fact, let's not just get Jews saved. Let's get everybody saved. Amen. Let's go knock doors and just knock everyone's door. And anybody that answers the door, red, yellow, black, and white, let's try to get them all saved. Amen. Because God is no respecter of persons, and heaven is going to be filled with people from the east and the west. But if people are thinking, and this is the problem with a lot of Christianity, a lot of Christians, they want to act like, oh, Israel and Jews or something. You know, you, can, you literally go to Christian churches today, and they'll have like... A flag of the nation of Israel. Ah. It's like these are God's chosen people. What does God think about his chosen people? You know, he thinks the same thing about as anyone that rejects Jesus. He says they're spiritually Sodom. They're spiritually Egypt. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be. This is this is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Notice what he says. Therefore, say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. And given to a nation, bringing forth fruits thereof. So he says, look, it's taken from you and it's given to another nation. What nation? A nation of Gentile believers. Amen. He ended the Old Testament. He landed the plate of the Old Testament. He said, the Old Testament didn't work. Now, Hebrews tells us it, it didn't not work because there was something wrong with the covenant. He says, there was nothing wrong with the covenant, but the fault was in the people. They messed it up. So he said he ended the Old Testament and he started something new. He began a new covenant. He began a new testament. It's through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So which group was cast out? The Jews, represented by Ishmael. Who will the Jews not be heirs with? Let's do, let's do this quickly and we'll finish up. Gen, go, go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Galatians 4.30. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman, notice the last phrase of verse 30, shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. Go back to Genesis 21. If you can do it quickly, Genesis 21. This is what was said in Genesis 21. Wherefore, she saith unto Abraham, cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, this is Sarah speaking, even with Isaac. The Bible says in Matthew 8 and verse 11, we just saw it, I'll just read it for you, we'll be done. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west. See, it is the heirs of the free woman that are going to receive the inheritance 
They're going to sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And, and how sad for people who were related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who thought that their ticket into God's grace or God's heaven was simply saying that they're related to Abraham. How sad for them when they realized that they were cast out because they were actually represented by Ishmael. They were born of the flesh. Go to Matthew chapter 8. We'll just finish up right here and we'll, we'll be done. Four questions. Who are the two groups spoken of in this allegory? Hagar and Ishmael versus Sarah and Isaac. What do the two groups represent? Two covenants. An Old Testament covenant, New Testament covenant. Two Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which now is, and Jerusalem, which is from above. Which group is which? Well, Isaac represents those who are born of the faith, those who are born of the promise. Ishmael represents those who are born of the flesh, those who are physical descendants. Which group gets cast out? Ishmael does. The physical descendants do. And who becomes an heir? Matthew 8, 11, And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west, and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. It is those from the east and the west that have become the heirs because they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 21, 43, look at it. We'll just be done. Matthew 21, 43. Therefore say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you. This is Jesus speaking to, the Old Te- to the, that Old Testament covenant, the Jews. He says it's going to be taken from you. He says, and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So who's going to reign with Christ? Who will be the heirs of the kingdom? New Testament believers. And the interesting thing is that it's this. It's anyone who's of faith. New Testament believers, and there's going to be Old Testament saints there. Abraham's going to be there. Isaac's going to be there. Jacob's going to be there. Moses is going to be there. David's going to be there. Why? Because they all called upon the Lord through faith. They weren't trusting. See, in the Old Testament, the way it was supposed to work is they had this covenant with God, but they weren't trusting those sacrifices to save them. But by the time Jesus shows up in the New Testament, the Jews have taken this Old Testament covenant and they perverted it. They turned it a works-based salvation. And Paul is fighting the Galatian Christians and saying, don't add works to salvation. Amen. What if it's Jews? And he says, nobody. God doesn't care about that. And he said, in fact, let me tell you something. The Jews, and Paul's a Jew, says they get cast out. Because the only way to be an heir is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's bow our heads and our word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this passage of Scripture. And, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to understand. And I realize that, that these portions of scripture maybe not the most exciting or the most they, they can be a little deep but I, I pray you'd help us to be a church that would be interested in learning the word knowing the word and I pray you'd help us understand these things not so that we can uh, think worse of any one group but just to not be a respecter of persons and to realize that all groups everybody needs Jesus and thank you for the new covenant thank you for the new testament thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ we love you In the matchless name of Christ, we pray, amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you real quickly that if you want to uh, 